Kent Heckenlively joins us today. He is a much published and successful, successively so, uh, figure whose books include Plague of Corruption, Restoring Faith in the Promise of Science, which is being turned into a documentary film, I understand, and now another book, The Diversity Con, The Secrets and Lies Behind the Shady Industry. That's our topic today. It is co-written with David Johnson. Welcome, Mr. Heckenlively. Thanks so much for having me. The word in your title, industry, uh, it suggests that we approach DEI at this point, not so much as a set of ideas and, and visions or theories, so much as an institution, uh, a whole a little universe, an economic universe with funding, with personnel, regulatory and, and commodity features. Is that is that sort of your your take on things? Yeah, and not just an industry, because we like to think of industries as something that thrive on their own. You know, there's a, there's a public hunger for it. You know, you find a need, you fill it. What I discovered in my investigation of this with my co-author, David Johnson, is I discovered that there is an industry that is not really an industry. It's a subsidy. Hmm. What's, what's happening is people are creating the need. They are pushing this forward. So think of it like the green new energy deal pushed by the government. But this is being pushed by some very uh, liberal, dark forces, I believe. And, uh, you know, David Johnson, you know, stepped into this DEI world, which, you know, he has come to believe that it's a civilization ending philosophy. I mean, the, what we really have to say is that the dream of Martin Luther King, in which we would be judged by the content of our character, not our skin color, is a civilization saving philosophy, because racism is a terrible thing. Martin Luther King gave us a way out of that dynamic. Well, these radical leftists are pushing us into something that's civilization destroying which it's 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 killing the dream of Martin Luther King and taking us into this evil dark world where we are opposing tribes i am not a tribal person i am a person to person guy you know who are you? I don't care what you are. What I care about is who you are. And so uh, we, we did a deep dive into uh, a number of these classes that they're being taught. And then we did a, a deeper investigation, which in, in some ways I think is more interesting about the funding of these organizations. And I think that, that the funding of these groups like Black Lives Matter is going to be of interest to any person who really cares about our political system. You know, you, you say dark, dark forces, but, you know, the word sounds so nice, diversity, equity, inclusion, that they really are a form of newspeak, right? The Orwellian uh, uh, jargon. And, you know, I wonder, I, and you actually have a little glossary at the end of the book of 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 DEI newspeak, but to me it, it, it's just it's so transparent. I mean, it, it it's such a fake. 
why are people so credulous? Why so gullible about, about the, you know, the good intentions of the DEI promoters? You, you know, it's really interesting, the persuasion game that these guys play. And David Johnson saw this again and again when he went to these classes. So let's say you have got a three-day seminar. Well, day one is all stuff. Well, well, well actually, actually, hold on, Ken. I, want, I wanted to ask you about a particular experience that David Johnson had that he, your co-author, yeah. what he writes about at, at the beginning of the book. So, so let's be specific. He worked at the toy company, Hasbro. He comes in as a young a young guy, and he, he likes working there. The toy show, a nice, nice place. What did he witness at these sort of training sessions that seemed to come out of the blue at Hasbro? Well, a little bit about David Johnson. He's an African-American man. Um, he describes himself as left of center. He is gay. And he believes that he's grown up in America, which has never discriminated against him. And he trained as a packaging engineer, got his college degree in that. And, you know, he says, look, my, my color and my uh, political beliefs and my sexual orientation have zero to do with how I package a product. It, it either is well packaged and arrives, you know, uh, intact or it breaks on the way. So he goes to, to work for Hasbro and, you know, second or third day there, they say, hey, you have to go to this DEI training. And he has the foresight to press the record button on it. And suddenly they're telling him that uh, babies as young as six months old are displaying racist tendencies. By two years old, they're excluding people. You know, by four or five years old, they're as racist as their parents. And, and he says to himself, my God, this, this is the craziness that he had seen earlier because he was living in Portland during the chop days. Um, and so he just said, this is nutty. And uh, he ends up sending it to Project Veritas and, and they run with it. And, and suddenly, you know, he's got a couple million views on uh, with, with Project Veritas. And, uh, and it really, it, it touches him at a very deep level because... This is a person who really believes in the promise of America and our ideals. And he's like, look, I, I'm that group that's supposed to be in favor of all this. This is terrible. And, and I want to dedicate my life to, to, to fighting this ideology, to, to keeping the good America in which I grew up um, instead of, you know, this, this terrible place of division. So just to, to let people know if they didn't know Project Veritas was this sort of investigative journalism uh, project uh, that would do stings, that would get undercover conversations, recorded testimony. They, they, they got uh, Planned Parenthood. They've gotten some politicians. They've gotten other organizations uh, revealed for some of their practices that appalled the general public, but they were always alternative. Why didn't Johnson go to go to NPR with this? Why not go to CBS with this? Why why did he why did he decide well maybe first of all I should ask why why did he want to make an issue out of this? Why not just walk away? 
Why not just do what most people do when they attend these seminars, Kent? They, uh, you know, maybe they roll their eyes. Maybe it's okay, okay, yeah, whatever, whatever, and I can get back to work. He, he didn't do that. He said, no, I, I've, I've got to call the whistle on, on this. Why? One of the things that has the, these people who are presenting to Hasbro were telling them to do was to figure out ways to slip subliminal messages into the toys. And, and I think for him, that was a line that he just said, look, there's craziness, I understand and everything, but when you're telling me that my job is to slip subliminal messages into kids' toys... That's a line I will not cross. Huh. And they, the messages would be sort of progressivist, tribalist, race-obsessed ideas that we want, we want kids to, to pick up. It, it's, it sounds pretty insidious. Uh, yeah, and, and, and so he, he just said, look, I'm not going to stand for it. And, you know, it, it, was, it was also kind of funny. One of the funny stories about the book is, is you know, he describes himself as left of center, and here he's going to Project Veritas, and, and it becomes a big thing, and they want him to go to a turning points uh, meeting, and a conference, and present and everything. That's where the story is going to come out. And, and he's like, look, I, I've been listening to conservative stuff for a little while, and, and I'm comfortable with it. But I still have kind of these leftist ideas of like, they're going to hate me and everything. And so he, you know, goes to the Turning Point Conference and, you know, standing ovation and people are coming up to him. And he's like, okay, great. I'm left of center. But wow, these conservatives are really nice people. You know, let's keep talking. And I think that, you know, to his credit, what David you know, really is, is he's a populist. He, he, you know, he, he loves the American ideals of, you know, let's debate things. And, you know, he, he jokingly says, you know, his political background is he wants to be able to go to a gay wedding, packing a gun with some weed in his pocket on somebody's private land, which has their own nuclear reactor. (laughs) <laughs> and I just thought, I thought, yeah, what a wonderful sort of way of looking at the world. You know, it may not be my way, my way of looking at the world, but okay, that's great. We, we, we can all be different. One of the strengths of the book, your book, is the way you bring out actual materials that are purveyed yeah. in, in these DEI training, orientation, anti-racism sessions what the leaders actually say and and this this i think is has been very important it's it's been necessary because when people have sounded the alarm about what what the dei really is as opposed to this happy language of of let's all get along and be polite uh there was initial skepticism oh give me a break you're just being an alarmist no here is the actual stuff that was distributed. This is what actually we we had to we had to agree to if we wanted, in essence, to continue working at this company or be a student at this university. It's it's been sort of a slog in overcoming that kind of liberal skepticism, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think that's where we get into how do they propagandize you. And, and so it's really interesting because, you know, look, I, I'm a writer. 
you know, I'm interested in influencing people. I know that there's a certain way that you influence people and everything, but hopefully you're you're influencing them honest, honestly with facts. And and what David found is that if there's say a typical three day seminar, day one, you probably won't find anything objectionable that's being said. Day two is where you start to get a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. Day three is absolutely freaking nuts. And you have things like, you know, isn't it terrible that this woman is prosecuted for taking naked pictures of her seven-year-old son masturbating because she she thinks it's an art project? And you go, oh, wait a minute. That is a child predator. You know, that you just described a child predator to me. And so, come on, man, free speech. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, so I, I think it's really important to understand the way people are being propagandized. Um, what, what David Johnson also did, which was a little bit shocking to me, is, you know, there's all this talk about, um, transitioning, you know, your, your biological sex, you know, going through the surgeries and everything. And, and, you know, I, I really hadn't thought much about what it actually entails, uh, to your physical body and the continuing problems that you have. And so we have a chapter on like, okay, if you're going to transition from a woman to a man or a man to a woman, what are all the things they have to do to you surgically? And it is absolutely barbaric. Um, and so, you know, lots of things that I didn't know. And I'm just like, oh, my God, it's 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 not. And, and you, you know, you find yourself going, well, you know, w- w- let people do what they want and everything. But when you understand how hard it is on the body, how these transitional surgeries will likely shorten your life and you will live in pain. All you can say is that anybody who is pushing these surgeries needs to have their head examined. You know, the the slide, the little slide where you go from sort of, you know, well, I kind of disagree with that, but okay, into again, each day gets successively a little farther, pushing pushing a little harder. Some of it is so uh, flatly deceitful and manipulative, and it can be very subtle. And, and one example is when a leader raises, quote, the underrepresentation of certain groups in elite spaces. And then a minute later says, what can we do to correct this misrepresentation? You got that? Yeah. From underrepresentation, it's now a misrepresentation and you know in my world the the uh uh, the the, in in academia uh there's constant concern over underrepresentation of blacks uh less so less so hispanics but it's there as as well but it's been going on for 40 years this this concern and the idea that one should examine the underrepresentation a little bit before calling it a misrepresentation. No, no, no. Oh, you, you can't do that. That actually is a specimen of, and, and you bring this out in the book, wrong think. 
What is wrong think? Well, it's a wonderful question you bring up because it's really insidious what happens because you you have one proposition which says, hey, there there is a uh, you know disparity in in who's in these positions. Okay, then what happens is they say we need to get a committee together, um, but it's really clear that this is going to be death by committee, and, and so the committee is is and the, this is what they teach. You take control of the organization by the committee that you create. And, and and that is explicitly said. This is how you take control. And what does that mean? That means you are getting rid of those people who you don't like how they look, you don't like how they think, and you put in your people. So it's a it's a collectivist approach to ethnic cleansing that that they that they put forward and for people who are more independently minded i mean we're more kind of individualist lone wolves so we we are not really trained or, or we don't have the disposition to be part of large groups. We'd like to be our own independent thinkers. And I, and I think that hurts us. We, we need to figure out how they're coming for us and then how to stop them. I, I think that looking over the last 30 years at, at higher ed, where, where I've been, I have to say, Kent, that when it comes to personnel, institutional control, the left runs circles around both the right and liberals, mm -hmm. sort of, you know, moderate liberals, sort of centrist figures, the left, that, that they play a game that is so much more sophisticated than what we understand or are disposed to. Maybe that's a, a better way of, of putting it. Ken, don't, don't you admire their astonishing success in institutional capture? It, it, it is really amazing. Uh, and, and they just think, they think this way. I mean, they think in the collective mindset, and it can be so comforting to be a member of the tribe, and you really have to be a strong individual, and you have to say, but to the same extent, I think that one person who stands up against the collective has a great amount of power. So I think more and more we need to just stand up and you know, voice our principled opposition, yeah. and you know, not let our, our ourselves be be pigeonholed. And so, I mean, for me, that's writing as many books as I can, um, and going on as many shows as I can. And you know, look, I'm I'm happy to talk to anybody. Um, and, and we have to, we have to engage. We have to stand up. But you know, isn't it nice to be able when you face someone with a contrary viewpoint, to be able to say, sorry, that's wrong, think. Next. <laughs> uh, come on. I'd love to be able to do that. Yeah, and, and so, you know, what I think we have to do is we have to be comfortable adopting some of the, t the tactics that they use. So if somebody comes at me if somebody asks me a question and is actually listening to me uh, and, and listening respectfully and we're actually having this 
this dialogue, hey, I'll, I'll give them every bit of courtesy I can. If somebody comes at me saying that that's wrong, think, the next thing I'm going to say is, no, that's wrong, think. You know, we have to be. <laughs> that's right. We have to be just as aggressive to them as they are to us. Chapter three goes into progressive anti-racism entering the elementary school classroom. Uh, question, why do they have to racialize and sexualize uh, kids at so young an age? Do they really believe that they're helping these kids? No, but what they're doing is they're using something that's highly effective. So, you know, one of the examples we talk about is the Chinese Cultural Revolution, which was one of the, the greatest purges of human beings in history. Well, that was not led by the adults. It was led by middle school, high school, and college students because Mao knew that what you needed to do was get the children because children can be incredibly vicious. You know, we, we get older and we, we get older and older and, and you know, we're more let live and let live. And, you know, what happens is we human beings have a need to belong. And, and I think that this is one of the critical things that we need to understand about this leftist assault is human beings need to belong to something greater than themselves. But what are the strongest bonds we have? They're the bonds with our family, with our community, you know, with our schools kind of thing. You know, I, I, I and so what, what these people want to do is fracture us. They want to fracture the family. They want to fracture the churches. They want to fracture the schools. Because what happens? There's all those people who now want to belong to something because we have cut them off from those that they love. And it doesn't go to other people. It goes up. It goes to the power. So the more you can break those bonds between individuals, the more we look up to authority figures and, and, and we worship the authority figures. And that's, that's why COVID was such a terrible thing because, you know, we, we destroyed so many small businesses. We destroyed so many small communities. And now, you know, everybody is buying all the stuff online and everything. And, and, you know, you got people in their houses and they're not out and they're not, you know, I, I still see, you know, 10, 15% of the people out in my area are wearing masks. And I'm like, for God's sakes, let me see your face. Part of these sessions, the orientations, the training, go into the transgender element. And you raise the possibility of transgender identity being, quote, a manifestation of deeper mental problems. Now, what would happen if you posed that hypothesis? You just put it out there as a question in one of these training sessions. How, how would people respond <laughs> to that? You know, facts are stubborn things. So, you know, one of the things that we looked at was, okay, so you say you're born in the wrong body. 
and that makes you unhappy. Well, I don't want anybody to be unhappy. So, so if you're in a state of unhappiness, I'd like you to get to that state where you're happy. So what does the evidence show for when people undergo these procedures? Are they happy? And the answer is no. The evidence is they're just as miserable as they were before the surgery as they are after the surgery. So I, I think we, we need to say, look, there needs to be an objective standard. So, you know, in terms of how I would attack the transgender agenda is I would say, look, first of all, I'm a human being and I care about you. So if you tell me that you're in pain, I, I feel that pain. I want you not to be in pain. I want you to be happy. I want you to be joyful. However, when we look at what happens to people, the, what the evidence seems to show that this doesn't make you any better. So if you told me you were an alcoholic and you were unhappy about it, and you asked me whether I think you should continue drinking alcohol, I would say no, because I we find that people who are alcoholics who you know go through a process and 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 are not alcoholics um, are happier. Their life gets better, you know. And so I I think we we need to attack this from the point of view uh, of saying, look, I I understand that you're in pain. Um, but it doesn't seem like this is the fix. So I am, I am 100% behind you being happier, but the evidence seems to say that going through these procedures will not achieve that result. And, you know, let's just go, go to science. What, what does science show? The more conservative you are, the more religious you are the happier you are despite the challenges of your life. So I think one of the things that conservatives get a little bit wrong is I don't think we're smiling enough when we hmm. engage in all of this sort of stuff. You know, what What we should be doing is we should be the model of a happy, healthy person. That's what we need to project. We we want to make those people say to themselves, how do I get like that? I want that. And so, hmm. you know, I, 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 I try to model that. I try to dress nicely. I try to get my weight under control. I try to exercise. And, and I, I, you know, I want to connect with people. And, and so I think that that's one of the thing, key things. Because sometimes when I see, you know, a, a lot of conservative people on on the news and everything, I'm like, why are they scowling so much? You know, this is joyful. I I I want to invite you into a world of joy. And and, and that's why I fight these terrible ideas so badly. Because you know, look, if you're a liberal, you can't even go see a comedian because you're gonna get offended by something. I'm gonna go to watch a comedian and I'm gonna laugh my ass off. <laughs> Final question. And uh, which I take from your conclusion, really, the, the, as you said, the whole system is sustained by daily doses of propaganda. 
is the propaganda collapsing? Is it less and less effective? Are more ordinary people standing up and saying no uh, because they, they've got eyes and ears to, to, to see the realities of things? So, you know, one of the worst things you can do to children is tell them what to do because children are naturally rebellious. So as people talk about you know, oh, isn't it terrible what we're doing in the schools and everything? I'm like, yeah, it, it is, because there, there are a bunch of little obedient little soldiers in school. But there are a whole bunch of rebels in school. And what do the bad boys do in school when this stuff comes up? They rebel. They make fun of it. They get their fellow students to laugh. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not really an Andrew Tate guy, but I understand his appeal. And, and so it's like, you know, what what's happening is, you know, here in California, Governor Newsom is actually complaining that his kids are listening to Andrew Tate and not the things that Governor Newsom wants him to do. So I, I kind of figure like, you know, to some extent, I'm like, lay the shit on these kids because they're going to rebel so hard. So Keep on doing it, and, and you know they're going to be making fun of it constantly. So, so I I really think that the future is bright. I think we need to be strong and principled, but we are going to have such a conservative generation in the the years to come because they're going to look back at at their you know middle school and high school years and go, didn't they give us a bunch of crap? Hmm. The book is The Diversity Con, The Secrets and Lies Behind the Shady Industry. Thank you, Mr. Heckenlively. Thank you.